everyone. Welcome to episode 33 of the 2QB Experience. This is the Derek Carr Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm one of your hosts. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And on the line, as always, is your other host, Joshua Lake, at Lake2QBs. Mr. Lake, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm a little under the weather, so apologies for the scratchy voice. But otherwise, it meant a good chance to watch some football this weekend. Yeah, man, you're a gamer. I appreciate you you coming on through the illness. Um, we're recording a little earlier than we normally do, not by much, but just to give ourselves as much time to actually, you know, full attention watch the Ravens and Patriots battle on Monday Night Football. Um, we're about 15 minutes away from kickoff, so Josh will be able to provide me with some updates as we go. But I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm. We were talking about it before we started recording. It, it'll be really interesting. It should be a good picture of how these teams will be in the playoffs because they, they very easily could be two of the top AFC teams, and this will show, if, especially if the Ravens, if the Ravens are for real. Yeah, going on the road in New England and, and you know seeing how they handle that will be interesting. I'm always a little skeptical of regular season results in games like this from the Patriots because I do feel like they're the type of team that tries to beat you with showing us as little of their hand as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's that's valid. I think one thing in favor of them playing is the, the Raiders' loss, so now that first seed is really open. Yeah, no, I, ho- I hope they go for it. Um, and, and, I mean, it's not like they won't try to win. I'm just right curious to see no, if they'll you know open up the whole bag of tricks to, to try to win, but we'll find out. Um, let's, let's get to another piece of news from earlier today. This one is... Uh, one that is near and dear to all of our hearts at, at 2QBs uh, because we, we've we been wondering all season when Jared Goff would play, how good Jared Goff would be, why the hell Case Keenum was still starting, and uh, Jeff Fisher was fired today. So uh, now we can see that, yes, th- those were poor decisions. Not that we didn't know that already, but um, what would you think about this news? It's a little surprising after they announced the the extension they gave him last week, right? Yeah, I mean, sure, they got blown out, but I guess I always question, what's what's the point? If you're a bad team that's not making the playoffs, why do it mid-season? I, I just don't see what the edge is other than trying to keep players motivated, but does it really matter? I don't know. I don't I don't like the timing, but obviously it's the right call to get rid of Fisher. Yeah, it was time for him to go, no doubt. Um, someone that we should probably fire, or something that we should fire, was Week 14 for quarterbacks, because it was... A ridiculous apocalypse and um I, I mean before i dive into some of these numbers i dug up what did you think watching football yesterday you said you got to watch a little bit more than normal and I, i'm curious could you tell like at what point could you tell it was going to be a bad week for the quarterback position it's a good question i i was watching the redskins eagles game early on pretty closely so every now and then checking in on other scores but pretty much watching that and it wasn't clear to me then because Cousins looks fine. He has a really deep throw to Deshaun Jackson. It's looking good. Wentz, we haven't trusted in a while. So I'm like, this this is fine. This is kind of what we expected. So I think for me, it was near, like, probably the end of that series of games when I pulled up fantasy for all my leagues. and was just like, oh, no. <laughs> it was bad. Like, you were seeing people complain about all these different players. And, and, you know, when quarterbacks struggle, you also get to see the tilt around what the wide receiver and tight end positions as well. So that was fun. But, yeah, just a, a total outright disaster. And here are some stats I dug up. So through week 13, the average score for a quarterback was 14.98 points. Uh, that's all quarterbacks in all games. So that includes, 
you know, in-game replacements, guys who left each game from injury or benchings, uh, guys who came into games after that and maybe only put up, you know, zero to two points or whatever. With that in mind, only 11 quarterbacks in week 14 scored over 15 fantasy points. Brady and Flacco have yet to play, of course, but that's bad. The average team quarterback score, so this is if you mush those, you know, two-headed monsters together each week. The average team QB score through week 13 was 17.81 fantasy points. Not bad. Yeah. And compare that to week 14, uh, 11.79 fantasy points. Again, pending Brady and Flacco. This is by far the lowest number of the year. The next lowest was actually just last week at 14.58. So... Wow. Ugly. Really ugly. The only two quarterbacks who beat the mark of, you know, say 17.81 were Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers. And Ryan Tannehill was really close. He was 17.8 versus, you know, 17.81. So only five quarterbacks posted more than 17 fantasy points in the week. It was really, really bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's... I mean, that's really shocking, the stat you have there. of The average team QB is almost 18 points, and this week it was under 12. Yeah, and so I did a little bit more digging to figure out what the like, worst week in recent memory was, and I had to go back to 2014 to find a week where the average team QB score was 13.16 points. Uh, that was week 15, 2014. To put that in perspective... We, we know that the number this week is bad, 11.79, which is you know much worse than the 13 we just talked about. For this week to catch up to that previously bad week in 2014, Tom Brady and Joe Flacco would have to combine for 67.6 fantasy points tonight. Oh, no. So, oh, no. Very, very ugly. Um, digging a little deeper, I'm just going to keep throwing numbers out. Uh, through week 13, quarterbacks combined to score an average of 498.82 fantasy points per week. And that includes weeks with teams on by, right? So these are total numbers. Uh, and there were some weeks uh, where, you know, there were six teams on by, right? In week 14 so far, again, without those two Monday night quarterbacks, only 35 or 353.7 fantasy points have been scored by quarterbacks. So that's wow. 145 points below the average week uh, and 61.3 points below the next lowest week. So, and that again was last week in thirteen, week thirteen. So even if Joe Flacco and Tom Brady combined to score sixty points in this game tonight, uh, this will still be the worst week uh, of the year. Uh, very, very, very bad. Wow. <laughs> and that's it was so painful. I think the thing that really made it stand out for me was the Le'Veon Bell game. We'll talk about it as it relates to Ben Roethlisberger, but just when you see a running back blowing up and then you see quarterbacks just across the board being dreadful, it really hit home like, oh, this this could just go so badly for you, especially we're in the playoffs now. Like you watch your quarterback just tank. Oh, it's it's so painful. There's so many ways you could lose this week. Like I said, the Le'Veon Bell, if you played against him, if you had any of these quarterbacks other than Ryan and Rodgers, essentially, like there's so many ways you could lose and just so many sad stories. Yeah, at least in two quarterback formats, because quarterback by and large was so poor this year or this week, excuse me. If you had one bad one and one like half decent one, you might have been okay because your opponent might have had two of the really crummy ones, right? Yeah, I mean, it's that's fair. So how did your teams survive the the quarterback apocalypse of week 14? Are you still <laughs> alive in some of your leagues? 
Yeah, I think I probably lost half of my teams this week, unfortunately. Um, I had Ben Roethlisberger in an important league. I had, um, I'm trying to think where else I got, I lost out. SFB, I probably lost not because of the quarterbacks, I lost because of the other positions. So my home league and SFB, two of my favorite leagues, I, I lost this week. That was unfortunate, but I'm I'm going strong in some other ones. We'll see what happens. So what about you? Yeah, so uh, my SFB team, after getting eliminated last week, really came to life. I think I scored the second most points in my conference this time around. Of course, didn't count, right? Zombie team. Yeah, zombie team. Too bad. One of my home leagues, I am going to win. Uh, One of my home leagues, I'm going to lose. And that was on the crux of uh, being on both sides of the Atlanta defense. So the team that I won with had the Atlanta defense. The team that I lost with was facing the Atlanta defense. Did, did you have to face them at all uh, in your week 14 matchups? I, I honestly have so few, so few leagues that play defenses. That's right. That's right. I forget you're a, you're a no defense, no kicker zealot. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care for them, especially kickers. Kickers are just ridiculous, <laughs> but anyway, we could disagree on that. No, I don't know that I was up against Atlanta's defense anywhere, but I, I would two, maybe three leagues have defenses. Yeah, that's not bad. It, Coming into the Monday night game per fantasydata.com, however they do their defensive scoring, Atlanta was currently tied for the third highest score of the week. Wow. Just behind Bell and someone else and tied with Carlos Hyde, to put it in perspective. Mm. And, and Hyde had a huge week, right? So that that was wow. pretty crazy. They were very good. Um, I saw somebody tweet about they're basically tilting about the Atlanta defense and, and they got a little upset about, you know, it's all luck. It's all luck. Do you think that there's skill involved in finding those huge outlier weeks for defenses? I think in the sense that all of fantasy football, there's skill. Like you, you can play the odds. Like we know Jared Goff is bad. We know Jeff Fisher's offense is bad. So targeting bad offenses, I think sets you up for better success than if you try and play against the, the Patriots or you try and play against the Cowboys until the last two weeks. Like you could do things to make it better, but I don't think we can predict these crazy like 30 point, 40 point games just because you need the touchdowns and they're so unpredictable. So your critique of fantasy defense or team defense is like the swingy nature of it. Is that correct? I I don't have as much complaint against a defense as kicker. I think kicker is a lot more arbitrary. There's, there's still skill, but it's a lot more arbitrary. Defense, I think the, the complaint is play IDP or don't play it at all. Like, I don't play IDP. But when you just pick a lump sum, like 11 players cycling in and out, I'm, whatever happens, happens. That's not as interesting to me as picking individual players and really saying who is going to succeed. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's just more macro, right? You're saying which team is going right. to succeed, but you're right. I, I can see the argument against it, and it is – I do believe it's predictable, though, or, or as predictable as everything else in fantasy football. Like you said, I, like I was on the Atlanta defense. I was picking them up wherever I could. I picked them up last week in a couple leagues because I knew they were playing the Rams this week. Like that stuff is part of the game if those are the rules of your league. If you don't like it, sure, like don't play in that league or start your own league without team defense. But – for, for people to have this sort of stuff happen and then complain about it, like how is it any different than, you know, Matt Forte getting hurt and Bilal Powell having a huge week, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, any of these injuries, it's fluky. You can't pl- predict it. Le'Veon Bell going off to this degree, like he was, a, he's a good running back in a fine situation, but you don't predict this. Like, yeah, I, 
I don't think the Falcons this week are an argument to drop defenses from your league. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like them, you don't like them. But I, I don't know. I, I the the tilting and the and the complaining about it doesn't doesn't help. I, I don't think. Um, what else did you see yesterday, uh, week fourteen, that stood out to you? Um, I saw all NFC East all the time. <laughs> Second of three straight weeks with the Cowboys in prime time. Yeah, it's it's kind of absurd. Um, that that one to me is interesting, like watching Dak Prescott struggle for the second week in a row because it's been so long. I mean, he went he went 10 straight games without really struggling much at all. And so watching him struggle, I think he's someone that we're going to circle back to for the coming weeks. And just do we reevaluate? Do we say two two weeks is a fluke? I mean, we went from skeptical at the start of the season to fully on board over the last few weeks. And now. It's this is the week where people are starting to ask questions and you kind of got to have a stance of is it a fluke or is he really showing his rookie stripes at this point? Yeah, there are so many other narratives you can buy into at this point of the year, too. Like the fact that, you know, the pressure is a little bit more on the fact that the weather's getting worse, like all these different factors you can point to and say, yeah, but he's only ever done it in warm weather. Oh, he's only good in the dome. Like things like that are going to start to pop up for players like Dak. And it'll be really interesting to see how he does or or doesn't you know perform against those expectations yeah no it's i'm really intrigued for as much as i have rooted against the cowboys all my life it's they're a fun team to watch and kind of see what they're going to do one of the more bizarre stat lines of the week was des bryant with nine targets and 10 receiving yards and a fumble so he got negative one point in a lot of leagues yeah or if you're in a ppr league i guess he got zero stuff like that just really fluky stuff they're they're interesting to watch for sure that was one of those situations I was talking about where the quarterbacks did so poorly that it just it really tanked a lot of the wide receiver values as well. It, very strange. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that other NFC East matchup because you and I both watched a lot of uh, Philly and Washington. That was a good game. Yeah, it's that was a fun one to watch. I mean, the Eagles really came to play, even though they're they're largely out of the playoff race at this point. Yeah, they're definitely a team that plays harder at home, and and I've kind of touched on that from time to time throughout the year but it's something that i fully am invested in at this point that's a narrative i believe in that when they are playing at home for whatever reason they play harder they play better unfortunately for them in that game it didn't really pay off um you know washington was really good it it was cool to see their offense kind of put it together against a, a very solid defense they had their share of mistakes but um you know they didn't let that discourage them too much you know kirk cousins was pretty good um Deshaun Jackson was a little bit better <laughs> helping out on that on that one long TD. That was huge. Um, yeah, it was it was fun to see. I think it's fun for me to see that the Redskins can have something to work with their their defense, as you were pointing out through the game. Like it, it's so porous. It just gets pushed around. It's it's improved from last year. Like they're not a clear seller dweller. Like we're not targeting the Redskins every week, but they're not good. There's so many holes. They don't play well. And so there's pieces. It's fun to see some improvement. I am not positive that we're going to get three NFC East teams in the playoffs, much as the, the mass media would like it. Yeah, I, I guess I liked that they made plays in that game, though, yesterday, because it was clear that the Eagles were really going for it. And like a lot of teams might have packed it in or a lot of teams might have said, ah, it's just the Eagles. Let's take these guys for granted. But I don't know if th- I agree. They didn't play great, but they... They played hard on defense, and, and that was impressive to me. Yeah, no, it's and they made some turnovers, like some really, really clutch. I mean, fumble, interception, just 
things that would have swung the game otherwise, excuse me, when the Eagles were driving. So there are things to like. I, I want to circle back to your point about the Eagles at home. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most interesting splits you can run is home away because it doesn't pan out for every player or every team, but there are some where it really clearly does. Like the Chiefs defense at home comes to mind. Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Brees on the road. I think for quarterbacks, kickers, defenses, like players that are more affected by their surrounding environment, I think there's something to that, but it really does seem like it's it's some more than others. We can't say across the board every defense at home is going to do well. It's not that clear, but there are some that really stand out. Yeah, I think it's partially psychological as well. And I don't know how you can quantify that from you know an, an analysis standpoint. Uh, you probably can't. But it just seems like certain guys, for whatever reason, or certain units tend to perform better in certain situations like that. It might be just a, a preparedness thing, you know, a coaching issue with the Eagles in this case. And it might be because it was a, a divisional game. I'm not sure. Like maybe that was part of it, and, and not less to do with being at home. Um, I mean, the home crowd helps too, for sure. And, and I think that in general, defenses playing at home tend to perform better than defenses on the road. Uh, I don't have the hard numbers to back that up, but I. I know I've read that before. I'm not sure how actionable it is from like a matchups perspective all the time because it's just like any other matchup where it also depends on the the level of competition they're playing against. Like the Eagles defense is pretty good. They played hard yesterday. They made some plays, but the Washington offense is very good and, you know, they took it to them. Yeah, and it's good but not great. Like I wish I had it pulled up. I'll see if I can get there quickly. But just exactly how the the Eagles defense ranked for fantasy purposes, because they played well, but they gave up 27 points total. And so it's one of those things where NFL success and viability is not always the same as what, what we can expect for fantasy. Philly scored 10 fantasy points, according to fantasy data. Hmm. Two sacks, uh, an interception, and a defensive touchdown. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the touchdown. Yeah, so that that did it. Um, let, let's move on. Let's uh, get to another AFC team and probably the biggest 2QB news of the week, and that was Ryan Tannehill spraining his ACL and his MCL. Matt Moore came in, took over as the starter, and he looked okay. He led them to victory one way or the other. Is Matt Moore a guy you care about for the last two weeks of the season? I don't think so. I it's kind of in the same sense we talk about bad quarterbacks that there's some interest if you don't have starters to to really pick up off the waivers but Matt Moore himself isn't great he hasn't had real games he hasn't started a game since 2011 I don't know that he is good enough or in a good enough situation that we love him they're going into three divisional games and each of those divisional opponent. Well, I, I, I take that back. Both the the Bills and the Patriots, I think, are still fighting. I think the Jets are just done. So maybe against the Jets, he'd be interesting. But it, I don't know that I would want to really consider him even at all, like as a QB three, uh, when he's facing the Bills and the Patriots. Yeah, the Jets game and the Buffalo game are both on the road to you know Miami. Going into outdoor stadiums for winter games is. Uh, you know, perennially been a risky proposition, and we are talking about the backup quarterback here. I, yeah, I'm not super interested. Uh, getting back to, you know, how bad the quarterbacks were, Ryan Tannehill didn't even finish the game. He was QB3 on the week. It, it, man, hmm. pretty incredible. Um, 
but yeah, back to Moore. I think that, like we talked about with Barkley last week, you can pick him up, you can own him as your backup QB. If you're the Tannehill owner, it probably makes sense for you to go in and try to swoop up Matt Moore. But I would hope that at this point, if you're still alive in the fantasy playoffs, you probably have better quarterbacks. I, I think that he's a guy you can probably avoid. I think you should probably look to other positions first on your waiver wire this week, whether that be for Bilal Powell or what, what's the guy on San Diego, Kenneth Farrow or Keith right. Farrow? Kenneth, Kenneth yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think that more needs to be a priority unless you're really desperate, uh, you know, for that QB2 for some reason. What about the um, the game that should have been? Like for fantasy purposes, there were a few matchups this week, but Saints-Buccaneers should have been just this explosive great court like great quarterback play mike evans should have blown up like this this was the game that we thought we could all target and it 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 did not live up to that yeah we've been circling both of these tampa bay new orleans games since the preseason as oh look at the fantasy playoffs you definitely want to start all your buccaneers and all your saints have i've seen i saw a bunch of bold predictions and one myself that i wrote about Jameis winston being awesome for the balance of the year and in the fantasy playoffs and just what a dud, man. <laughs> it, it was a like a, a competitive and, and entertaining game, I suppose. I didn't get to watch much of it, but it seems like it was close at least. But for fantasy purposes, yuck. Just nothing going on. It's frustrating because just last week we were talking about Drew Brees and fluke performances, and it's so rare. It's an outlier. Now he has two in a row. Like, it, is there something going on, or is it just kind of the law of, of randomness that there will be two consecutive bad games for everybody? Yeah, I think it's that, but I also think it is a matter of defense. Um, Detroit doesn't have a great defense. I still can't explain that game, to be honest with you. And that was in New Orleans. This game was on the road where we know we just talked about, you know, home road splits and how Drew Brees does appear to be affected by them. But Tampa Bay's defense, I think, is pretty legit. Like, we've seen them come on pretty strong, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think that's fair that that defense has improved. Uh, something that worries me going forward is uh, the, it's been a problem for years, but the Saints just cannot run the ball. Like 16 rushes for 46 yards this week. Their leading rusher had 31 yards. Cannot is, isn't is even the right word. It just seems like will not or won't is, is what's really going on. Is For whatever reason, they just get too happy to pass the ball. Yeah, they, they default back to it. I mean, it's concerning that Mark Ingram rushed seven times for 14 yards, like two yards per carry. He can't. Tim Hightower had a, had a pretty good run with his six carries. But you're right. It's like any point in time, like this isn't that they were getting blown out. Like we've seen the Saints have to throw because their defense is so bad. This was an 11 to 16 final. It's not as if they were down three touchdowns and had to throw. They just do almost every week. Yeah, I'm looking up the stats here real quick to see what other fantasy running backs have done against the Bucks recently. Because I, I seem to imagine it or remember it being pretty, they've been stout against the run. Melvin Gordon in week 13 had a nice game, uh, but largely through the air. He had four catches for 54 yards, um, in, and he did get a touchdown on the ground. So uh, 21.8 points in half-point PPR. But before that, like Thomas Rawls did nothing against him. Spencer Ware and Charkandrick West only combined for about 15 points. Langford and Jordan Howard combined for about 12 points. So uh, they're pretty good against the run. I, I think that might explain part of the Ingram hate. And we know that Ingram isn't, you know, fully healthy either. So 
it is a problem for the Saints, don't get me wrong. But again, I think that we could probably point to the fact that they were on the road, that it was a bad matchup, and have that explain part of it away. I don't know what the hell we're supposed to do with Drew Brees next week, though. But I, let's let's save that conversation for later. Let's move on to talk about Ben Roethlisberger specifically. We you know we don't need to hammer this home because we've already talked about how bad quarterbacks were. But I, I'm interested in Roethlisberger specifically because it wasn't necessarily his fault that he didn't score as many points. Like all the touchdowns went to Bell. Like everything was on the ground. He basically pulled what Matt Barkley did last week with Jordan Howard, right? That's a great comparison. Just a fine game. It wasn't dreadful. I mean, he, he threw too many interceptions for NFL purposes. It was a bad game. It just touchdowns went through the running game. And that, that happens sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. And the weather dictated that as well, like in the snow, like it, it figures that they weren't going to pass as much that I'm not saying you could have pivoted off of Roethlisberger thinking he wouldn't score any touchdowns through the air, but you know, based on the weather, you might have thought that there was going to be a heavier run split in the play calling. Right. Again, we're talking about a guy who you spent high draft capital on, so I don't know how actionable that is. Like, I don't know if you're benching Ben Roethlisberger last minute based upon the weather for, I don't know, some other replacement-level player. But, again, it's not like there were that many other quarterbacks who were better anyway. Yeah, no, it's it's sadly true. Like, there are very few players that you started this week at quarterback and you're like well I was bad like I I lost because of the quarterback because yeah more than half of the quarterbacks really didn't do that much like for as bad as a game as Roethlisberger had he's within what 10 points of most of the league yeah and to be fair a lot of the guys who did well were not the types of fantasy commodities you would have been excited to start in the first place like Tannehill Sam Bradford Trevor Simeon like those guys are all in the top five right now I mean, yes, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers are one, two, but yeah, like there were a lot of bad quarterbacks who ended up higher in the rankings. So maybe you didn't get burned like Carson Wentz, Matt Barkley, Bryce Petty, uh, Kaepernick, RG3. These guys are all going to be top 20 quarterbacks by the end of the week, e- even after Monday Night Football. Yeah, no, that's a good point. All those bad names. It really was a week where so many top names struggled. Yeah, one avenue to some amount of fantasy success, or at least a fantasy basement that didn't kill you, uh, was you know running the ball from the quarterback position. We saw. I just mentioned how uh, Newton and Griffin were you know in the top twenty. Uh, him and Colin Kaepernick and Tyrod Taylor, all those guys are going to finish as top twenty QBs, largely based on the fact that they were able to get a few extra points on the ground. We don't have to you know dwell on this because we know that rushing is the secret sauce in fantasy football, but just another indication that, you know, these guys are, are worth targeting and worth using despite, you know, potential bad matchups, despite potential for, you know, low upside. The the fact that they give you that rushing floor is pretty huge. Yeah. It, it continues to be an important thing, especially, I think it stands out more in a week like this where all the players around them did so poorly because it, other than Kaepernick, it hasn't really made these quarterbacks super exciting. There hasn't been a ton of rushing upside, but it has definitely made your floor safer. Like streaming these guys is not as scary as it would be for the Jared Goffs of the world. You know what else will make your streaming safe? Going against the Tennessee Titans. Trevor Semyon, QB5, just proving once again that if you can target the Tennessee Titans with your quarterback, you are probably going to be just fine. Um, did you get to see any of that game by chance? No, I didn't watch any of it, unfortunately. I 
I liked Simeon a lot. I called him my number one streamer over at 4 for 4 this week. I rolled him out in a, a free roll DFS lineup and made $2 off of it. Baller. <laughs> so I uh, wish I spent real money on DFS these days, I guess. But yeah, I kind of saw this coming just because the, the Titans have been bad for a while now. We know they are one of, if not the worst, against the pass. And so it, it's going to be interesting just watching them move forward because they get, what, Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Houston. Mm-hmm. And all three of those quarterbacks, probably not Bortles. I guess I should say Smith and Osweiler are certainly in the streaming category. Yeah, if we go back through their past few games, um, QB5, Week 14 to Simeon, uh, QB11 finish in Week 12, QB10, QB3, QB13. I'm just going backwards here. QB4, QB1, QB10. Like since Week 6, they've basically given up a Top 10 performance every time. Like the the worst one they gave up in that span was qb 13 in week nine and that was against phil rivers and, and that's not including major names there are some it is including major names andrew luck aaron Rodgers are in there but again semi and matt barkley blake bortles like these guys have all lit up tennessee so i think alex smith blake bortles again like those are guys that you're going to want to use if you have them and both of them have been a little suspect so i i say this because yeah you just can't be gun shy like we talked about this with kaepernick last week just because he had one bad week, you can't let that, you know, dissuade you from playing him in what appears to be another good matchup. And, and I think we have the same thing going with Tennessee moving forward. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right, that this is the team to target. And Alex Smith, I know this will will please Sal. He looks like a fantastic opportunity. I mean, they're going to be at home against the worst defense in the league. It looks like a great situation. Uh, anything else on week 14 before we get to Derek Carr? No, nothing jumps out. Let's do it. All right. Uh, as usual, we will start with the things we noticed from week 14 or from whenever, I guess. But uh, I'm actually going to twist this a little further. And it's going to be something that I just now assume. I assume that Seth Roberts must have some sort of blackmail material on Derek Carr or the Raiders offensive play caller. <laughs> Twitter was blowing up about it, but he now has 18 red zone targets on the season compared to Michael Crabtree's 20 and Amari Cooper's 13. What the hell do they have to do to throw to somebody other than Seth Roberts? It can't be that hard. Yeah, this that's a great thing to call out. Like it really is insane to me that Roberts isn't that involved, like watching the Raiders play. He's not involved a lot of the time. It's just suddenly when they get down near near the goal line, he becomes this this hero, and I don't understand what all the love is. I mean, I imagine it's just because they expect Cooper and Crabtree to draw more defensive attention, but when you keep throwing to Seth Roberts in the red zone, people are going to start to sniff that out anyway, and he's not the type of player, he's not the type of talent who's going to really elevate himself over you know those cornerback threes or whatever all that often. Yes, he has some a few touchdowns on the year. I think he has four. But on the number of targets that he has, like it's not really that impressive, I don't think. I'm a Seth Roberts fan in general, like for Dynasty. He's he is currently being kept out of fantasy relevance because of the two guys ahead of him, but I think he's talented. I think that there's opportunity there if either one of the the other two leave or gets injured. But it is just bizarre that not in dynasty terms, just in real life terms, he continues to be so involved in this red zone offense. Your your point's a good one about matchups, but 
you got to think they got a scheme to get their better wide receivers open a little more. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, was there anything that stuck out to you from that Thursday night game, either you know from the stats or, or from watching Derek Carr play? So I didn't watch much. I guess I watched some of the game, but I was distracted is probably the better way to put it. I've, I've got a four-year-old kid, and so the game was on, but I, I can't say that I watched it very well. The thing that really stood out to me after the fact is just how bad the stats were. Like, I don't think that watching it, I realized Derek Carr threw 41 times and barely broke 100 yards. Like, 40% pass completion. This was just all around a dreadful, dreadful statistical performance. Like, not, not oh, well, we'll try again next time. Like, you are one of the worst quarterbacks on the week, sort of a bad. And that one was surprising to me because I think my gut would have said, oh, he probably threw sometime at like 28 25 28 attempts and just it didn't pan out but no he was he was throwing over and over and over again and just to no effect and the the reason that stands out is i think kansas city is a porous secondary like i think they're a fine matchup most of the time and so i don't know what to make of that it, it it's something i'm still evaluating and i guess that's why i mentioned kansas city at home earlier because that's one of the potential narratives is play them play against them on the road but don't do it when they're at home well and they've also only had justin houston back for a few games and he really does help that defense out a lot like getting more push up front helping you know defend the running game uh you know taking away maybe some of the raiders ability to run play action uh things like that Mm. the finger injury for Carr also appeared to you know be limiting him and they talked about that a lot on the broadcast it was a big point of discussion it seemed to be a problem for Carr to throw deeper with accuracy. And, you know, after he messed up his fingers, that's not completely surprising. Is this something that you're worried about, you know, moving forward? I mean, obviously they think he's healthy enough to play, but if his accuracy on deep passes is suddenly gone, that really, really neuters his upside, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's a great point. That The finger injury, just Matthew Stafford has a finger injury as well. These are the tougher ones to call. Like, we know that Ryan Tannehill won't be playing. That's easy to deal with. <laughs> Knowing what to do with finger injuries is really tricky because if it this is largely based on injury, then you're really not going to want to play him regardless of the matchup. But if it's just a fluke thing on a short week, you're going to love him in a, in a 10-day week this week with a san diego game that's important even if it's a tough matchup and so it's it's tough to know like i don't think that nfl teams are very honest with us about the injury news and so it's really hard to say how severe this is yeah i am i'm probably gonna have to run him out in a couple leagues because i am the type of player who as we discussed last week is willing to drop guys like matt barkley uh towards the end of the year if i think i'm set with the guys i have like in our staff league i have Derek carr and if by some miracle I do advance in that league, I think I'm losing currently uh, to James Simpson, that monster. Um, <laughs> if I can advance there, I'm I'm going to have to make that decision. You know, it's like, is Carr's finger healthy enough for me to play him with confidence? Or do I need to take that super flex position and play a non-QB? Or do I need to start, you know, Josh McCown or whoever else it is? I mean, it's not Josh McCown anymore, but that level of player, I'd don't think I'm going to be able to pull the trigger on that sort of move with Carr. I have a feeling that unless I have a solid option behind him, I'm probably just going to run him out again against San Diego. Would you, would you do that any different? I think you're probably right. It's I don't know enough to really bench him at this point. Could it end disastrously? Yeah, but I think I'm with you. I think you've got to give it a shot again. Yep. 
Okay, that makes me feel better. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> You're welcome. Any other questions we can address? Well, let's talk a little bit more about the Chiefs defense and not necessarily them specifically, but about what the Chiefs defense represents to the Raiders and to Oakland. Uh, this is a team that is very familiar with playing against Oakland and Derek Carr. I mean, they face him as much as any other team does. Is there any part of you that wonders if part of the struggles that Oakland has had with Kansas City is because they're a common opponent, because they have a better book on Derek Carr? I don't put much stock in this, and I know there is some some common on common analysis out there. You play them more often, but the same film is available to all the NFL teams. So could there be, like, at the individual player level, some instinctive, like, we've been on the field, we understand this more? Yes, but I don't think it's that the coaches can prepare better or something like that. Like, it's all publicly available film. No, I do think it is. It's it's about the players more than anything else. It's about, okay, I'm Justin Houston, and I know what certain ticks Oakland's offensive linemen, what Derek Carr does, what Latavius Murray does in the backfield, like, all these things, like I have seen it more than other people, and therefore I have a better idea of what they're trying to do, and so I have a better idea of how I can defend it. Um, I, I agree. I don't think that it's necessarily all coaching. I have a feeling there's some of that, if only because again, they're instead of cramming for them, you know, one week out of the season, they're cramming for them two weeks out of the season. So there's a little extra familiarity there. Um, Andy Dalton is is the one who's kind of infamous for this, uh, struggling against teams that he faces often. And I do have some concerns here that that Carr could be that guy because he has struggled against Kansas City, has struggled against Denver. The flip side of that coin, if we want to, you know, flip the the argument over is to say, well, both of those teams have really good defenses. So maybe that's just it. That is a tough division to play in. Like for all the pub that the NFC East gets, that that division is really interesting to me. Yeah. Do, do you, who do you think is going to come out of there? I mean, Kansas City's definitely got the inside track at this point, but. Do we really trust Andy Reid and Alex Smith that much? <laughs> yeah, that's so I don't know the tiebreakers. I'll be honest. I haven't looked at that closely. Well, Kansas City beat Oakland twice, so they definitely own that tiebreaker. Well, but it's not head to head. It's strength of schedule. Is that what happens first? OK, that's news to me. Yeah, I think that's the first tiebreaker after record and then head to head can come in later, which is one of the bizarre things. I, I think that's true. But now I'm now I'm second guessing. But either way. Assuming there's no tiebreakers, I think that the Raiders are the most interesting team. But Kansas City, like this is the model that we've seen work in the playoffs is good defense, decent, mistake free offense. And so I think they could be a really interesting team should they make the playoffs like they have the pieces, especially with Justin Houston back. Like you said, they could really kind of liven things up in the AFC playoff race. All right. I'm looking up the tiebreaker procedures. I want to see this. Uh, so the number one tiebreaker within a division is head to head within the division. Yeah. Now, if, if you're talking about wild card, then that's different. Okay. Sorry. We were talking at two different things. Okay. Yeah. To break the tie in a wild card team, uh, if they're from the same division, apply the divisional tiebreaker. And if the teams are tied from different divisions, apply the following steps. Step one, head to head, if applicable. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Step okay. two, best one lost, uh, tied. One loss, oh, best record uh, percentage in games played within the conference. So then it's, yeah, strength of schedule. Okay, so I, I'm completely wrong. Sorry about that. How dare you? <laughs> I don't know why I had that in mind. So, okay, so that is really a big deal, the head-to-head games. Yeah, now, I mean, the question at this point becomes, what are they going to do over their final games? Like, we just talked about how the Chiefs get to play Tennessee. 
that should be you know a, a, a winnable game. Uh, but then they go to Denver, or no, they have Denver at home, and then they go at San Diego in Week 17. So I don't know. I could see them losing two of those games potentially. I doubt it, but I could see it. Oakland, on the other hand, San Diego, Indy, and Denver. Yeah, that, that seems like a tougher road to me. Really? Especially because you know Indy should be able to keep up with them offensively. I'd imagine. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like all three of those are winnable games, while tough. I mean, Indy just looked really bad against Houston, and so I'm I'm skeptical. I I think there'll be challenges. They could easily. I guess I'll put it that they could go 0 and 3 or 3 and 0, either way in that schedule. Yeah, that that tiebreaker is so huge. I I have a feeling we're going to see them Kansas City uh, with that number two seed most likely, but uh, we'll find out. Anything else on Derek Carr before we uh, move on? Do you have any, you know, dynasty takes on Derek Carr? Do you think, uh, what do you think it would be worth giving up to get him if you needed a quarterback in dynasty? He's got to be one of the top quarterbacks at this point. I I think you are going to have to offer two first round picks for the equivalent, and that may not get you there. I think he's going to be easily in the top six or seven dynasty quarterbacks, and, and I haven't sat down to really flesh it out. I'll be doing that in the coming weeks, but... I think he's super pricey at this point. The, the finger injury isn't going to really lower his price, and I think people people see that he's improved each of his three seasons. Would it change your mind if I told you that Derek Carr and Johnny Manziel are tweeting at each other and apparently buddy-buddy? Oof, what sort of drugs are they talking about doing? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's concerning. Yep, keep, keep your eye on that one. Narr- narrative Street reigns supreme yet again. <laughs> Let's let's shift gears. Let's get off of Derek Carr. Let's look to week 15. And week 15 is a weird one. Uh, scheduling quirk here. We have a Thursday game plus a Saturday game. How does this affect your lineup process and your lineup decisions, if at all? I'm, I'm not worried about the Saturday game. I don't think Saturday to Sunday worries me as much as a Thursday game would. And also, these are some bad quarterbacks playing in these games. So it's hard to really care a whole lot. Yeah, hopefully you just don't have to play that many guys from these games in general. We're talking about uh, Jared Goff uh, at Russell Wilson. So Goff is unusable, and Wilson, uh, who knows, Like depending upon what their offensive line may or may not be able to do in that game, he could have a rough one against L.A. Um, and then on Saturday, it's Miami with Matt Moore going to uh, New York to play Bryce Petty in the New York Chets. So, yeah, very, very, very suboptimal quarterback options in those games. Uh, I, I would like to think, though, that, you know, if I had, let's say, a healthy player in one of those early games and then a questionable player in, you know, the Sunday slate, that's where it starts to get tricky, right? That, that, that's where I think I'd be a little more likely to gamble this week in particular to say, OK, I'll see if my questionable guy can go. And if not, I'll scramble to find a backup plan if I need to, because I don't want anybody in these first two games. Um, the Seattle players might be the exception to that, of course, but w- what do you think about that? I think that's probably right. I think the bad quarterback play is going to drag down so many people that if it if it becomes a question in your mind, probably just wait it out and see what happens. And and remember to dump these players. Like that that's an important step. A lot of people overlook is if you're not going to use someone and you're in the last week or the second to last week of your season drop them before the Thursday or Saturday games and pick up someone that's playing Sunday or Monday. Cut them loose. Yeah, give yourself options. Speaking of bad quarterbacks, 
What about Matt Barkley at home against Green Bay? I mean, Alshon Jeffrey's coming back for this one. What do you expect from Barkley? I mean, we just saw Green Bay dismantle Seattle, but generally they've been a pretty favorable team to stream quarterbacks and wide receivers against. Uh, are you at all interested in Barkley now? No, I think the reasons you mentioned make sense, like addition of a great wide receiver, a fine matchup, playing at home. I don't trust Barkley. We talked about it last week. That the small sample of his his success worried me. I don't think that this is... I think there are a lot better streaming options, I guess is the way I'll put it. We talked about Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick, Sam Bradford, Joe Flacco. Like, There's a lot of favorable matchups, even Trevor Simeon playing New England. I don't know that Matt Barkley is someone I'm going to really roll out there just because I do think this is a better week for streamers. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those streamers. You, you threw out a couple names. Um, kind of comparatively, there are a lot of quote-unquote elite options with really tough matchups this week. How many or which streamers would you use over these guys? I'll go one at a time. Drew Brees at Arizona. Uh, I don't think I'm taking any streamer over Drew Brees. Okay. So you're not too worried about him even after these two dud games and him going back on the road? No, I think that his points per game have been so high. You've got to trust that going forward. None of the streamers will I start over him. Interesting. I would be tempted with Alex Smith. I would hmm. be tempted with, I mean, I guess it depends on what your definition of a streamer is, but I'd be tempted with Colin Kaepernick as well, going at Atlanta. Even Semyon against the Patriots, depending upon how they look tonight against Baltimore. I, I don't know. I I'd probably would start Breeze over Semyon, but those other two, Kaepernick hmm. and Smith, I think might alleviate my fears with Breeze if I, if I had those guys as other options. You know what I'm saying? I, I totally get it. It's been two straight bad weeks, and it's a bad matchup on the road. I think we have to look at, like, Kaepernick is interesting because there's crazy upside. Alex Smith is averaging almost 10 points per game less than Drew Brees. Like, I don't know that the matchup and the road, like, I don't know that I want to play Alex Smith over Drew Brees, just given the huge gaps in what we typically can expect. And I don't know if we can consider this guy a streamer, but what about Jameis Winston at Dallas? He also, you know, had a bit of a dud performance there against New New Orleans, but I, I don't know. He's another guy. Dallas has been an, another team that has generally been favorable for quarterbacks to go against. Eli Manning burned a lot of folks last night, but that hasn't fully scared me off of Jameis for Week 15. I think that he's another guy you could consider over breeze going on the road against a bad defense or a good defense excuse me Hmm. yeah i'm a little more willing to gamble on that stuff because it is the fantasy playoffs because if you do make that mistake it is you know the 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 last chance you get um anyway you're definitely higher on on breeze than i am for uh, the upcoming week what about andrew luck is he kind of hold the same distinction for you he's at minnesota in week 15 yeah, I'm I'm more worried for a couple of reasons. One is I think Minnesota is a markedly better uh, pass defense than the Cardinals, even though both are really good. And then the other is just that the Vegas likes the Saints a lot better than it likes the Colts. I'm worried because we just saw a good defense shut down the Colts, and the Colts are going on the road uh, to play Minnesota in in the cold. Well, now they're in a dome, so I take that back. <laughs> but I'm more worried about Luck than I am Breeze. He's one I'd be more willing to consider against the streamers. Okay, so um, which, if any, of those streamers that we discussed would you use over Luck, if any? I think Kaepernick and Smith, Flacco even, I would have to consider. 
Interesting. Man, I think you and I have differing opinions here because I, yeah. I don't know if I just trust Andrew Luck more than I trust Drew Brees at this point. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's recency bias, but I, I think it also has to do with the way their offense works in Indianapolis. Like they tend to be a little, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I feel like Luck's volume is a little bit more guaranteed, not necessarily from like an efficiency standpoint. Like if I'm going for that, I want Drew Brees every time, but I don't know. Like I like, I like luck more. Obviously, this will be interesting to see. Like we are very much. We're, we usually have similar takes. This one we're pretty far apart because I do think it's recency bias. Like we've seen two bad Drew Brees games. Other than that, we historically say he is a fine starter, even on the road in a bad matchup. And I think we're just more worried because of the last two weeks than we would be otherwise. Uh, whereas luck. That offense has struggled plenty, and I don't know that I can trust it, and I do really think pretty highly of that Minnesota defense. I want to avoid them when I can. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. I, I would still consider the same streamers over Luck, like Kaepernick, like Jameis, um, like Alex Smith. I, I would have a harder time, I think, with, with using those guys over Luck than I would Breeze, but yeah, it could just be recency bias. Uh, Tom Brady on the road at Denver. Yeah, that's what a week, right? It's brutal. Like all these streamers we like and all these top guys that we're asking questions about. I, I've i got Brady in my home league and sadly now I'll be playing for the third place game rather than the title. I think I'm sticking him out there. Granted, we'll see what this Monday night game looks like because it's too early to say. I'm I am pretty strongly in the camp of like if you have a player that got you to the playoffs, you probably just need to trust them. But I I get it, and I do I will say that he is significantly lower in my in my metrics this week than he has been any other week of the year. Yeah, I think in the case of any of these three guys, it's fair to start them. Like you said, they are elite talents for a reason. They've performed well in poor matchups before. Breeze is the one who scares me the most, if only because he's played poorly recently. Um, and you're right. Whatever happens in tonight's game, if if Brady looks human against a good defense in Baltimore, then yeah, I mean, maybe that should scare you off of playing him at Denver, but I don't know. Like I'd I'd have a hard time benching any of the three. I I think that if you really like a a certain angle, like if you really like that Alex Smith streaming matchup, if you really like the Colin Kaepernick one at Atlanta, which I I mean, to be fair, even that's a little shady to me. Like after what we saw Atlanta do to the Rams, like I'm not saying that Kaepernick is as bad, as Jared Goff and the Niners offense is as uncreative as Jeff Fisher's, but the Atlanta defense seems to be pretty good against bad teams. And that might also be a bit of recency bias, but I think that that should give you some caution with Kaepernick. Right. And so these things cut both ways. Like we can be afraid of the good QBs and bad matchups, but we also have to be afraid of the bad QBs because they're bad QBs. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, we just saw, yeah, I mean, when you see Kaepernick get benched after, what, five pass attempts, like, anything can happen with these bad guys. Yep. Let's talk about two more bad quarterbacks, and these guys are playing against each other in Week 15. Blake Bortles versus Brock Osweiler. The race to the basement. Who you got? Oh, it's so painful. Like, Blake is the better fantasy option, but he's in a terrible matchup. Like, this could be... Oh, we talked about the Thursday and Saturday games being ugly. This is just another one. There's some really bad teams in this league. 
Yeah, it's worse this year than it has been in others, just in terms of the overall quality of play. That's for sure. Like we've been talking about it all year, but that's probably the thing I'll take away the most from this season. It's just that level of poor play and, and mediocrity across the league and how it kind of made the fantasy year a shit show. Like it was like a little more unpredictable than normal, like a little mm. less exciting because the play itself wasn't as fun to watch. Like, I don't know. I, I hope that, you know, it's a little better next year. Don't you? Yeah, this has been a weird year. It's kind of fun. It's introduced more luck and more variance, but you like the good players being good. Like, there's something fun about just watching people go out and crush the opponent every week. Well, especially in the fantasy playoffs, too, from like a fantasy perspective. Like, when I get to this point of the year and I'm still alive, I want my awesome team going up against someone awesome's, someone else's awesome team. And I want like a Clash of the Titans, like 150 points to 170, you know? And we did not get that in week 14, like, not even close. I hope that week 15 is a little bit better, but, you know, looking at those matchups for the quote unquote elite quarterbacks and then comparing them to the fact that we have so many other bad QBs tells me that we might be in for more of the same. (laughs) I don't know what to say at that point. Well, well, let's close out with one more. And this is another case of uh, like a defense coming on against who we thought was a good quarterback. and, And you teased this earlier, but Dak Prescott going against the Buccaneers. Do you trust Dak this week after what we've seen recently? I think so. I I really like Dak this week. I think I'm going to roll him out there without much fear. Vegas really likes the Cowboys this week. I think this is a, a point where you say, look, yes, recency bias says he's struggled, but I'm going to stick with it. I think Des Bryant's going to do more with his targets. I think this is a fine matchup at home. I think they're, they have a renewed motivation to win because – their division is not so clear as it once looked. That's a lot of narrative, but I do think that I'm going to roll him out there and feel fairly confident about it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't think you can question him too much because he was so good for the first however many games. Like over the larger sample size, we've seen him be a, an awesome fantasy quarterback. We can't let you know two bad games in a row sway us from that, especially when his two bad games really aren't all that bad compared to what we've seen from the rest of the QBs recently. So I think it's fine to run him out there. I am a little concerned that maybe it just took a little longer for opponents to reach the point where they can start to figure out how to make him look like a rookie. Does that make sense? That's really the concern, right? Is if if he's been figured out, if the, if the code has been cracked, that's one thing. I tend to think that's not what it is. He's, He's looked a little shaky, and he may still, but I think that he is still a good quarterback, and it's not as much that there was some some flaw in his armor that got found as it is just he's going to have some off games. Like, that that happens as a rookie, but he's a guy that I, I think we've seen enough of. It's a pretty large sample size of success at this point. Yeah, and their offense is largely very good you know they have that great offensive line they have Ezekiel Elliott they have Des Bryant like Cole Beasley's playing well uh, there's a lot to like in that matchup I, I understand that the Bucks defense is getting stronger but I, I think I'm with you I think that Dak is a guy that you can use anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this thing up Josh um the only other thing I, I want to say is just the the SFB has been such a great thing I want to. I am sad that you and I are both out of it after this week, but really recommend go sign up for that. It has been such a fun thing just for me personally this year that he has got a crazy number of applications for next year. But if you are listening and have not signed up, go to scottfishbowl.com and sign up for next year's version. 
Well, and not only from a like the fun of playing it in ourselves, there's also that angle of just spectating, like looking at all these other teams, all these other conferences and divisions and saying, oh, how did he get that team? How did that work? And kind of piecing together, like who's going to win, who has the best shot to win. Like it's been a lot of fun to follow too. Yeah, and that's a great point. And then you throw in that there are some really big name like fantasy analysts here too. So you can really see how they build a team in real life, not just what they write or what they say on a podcast. Yep, yep, definitely. The Scott Fishbowl is awesome, no doubt. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on here, and I actually meant to bring this up uh, last week before week 14, before the fantasy playoffs started, but just kind of a thank you to the listeners. Just one of those things where we know at this point that as teams drop out of contention, you know, it happened with Josh last week, it happened with me last week. Like, as you lose teams uh, that may or may not have made the playoffs, you can start to wane in your uh, fantasy football analysis or research. And I just wanted to kind of say thank you to everybody for listening to this point. I hope you stick with us through the end of the year. Hopefully we can keep it entertaining and maybe give you some angles on DFS that you can use. But, but in general, if this is your last episode of the year, just um, cheers. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you when you come back. Um, that, that, that's all I got there. Yeah, no, it's it's been a fun season. Definitely appreciate everybody listening. And may have to do this every pod from here on out, but um, just just in case that that goes out to everybody <laughs> who stopped listening last week too, whether whether they're going to hear it or not. If you are still listening to the podcast and you want to send us some questions, you can always do that on Twitter at two QBs or uh, by email two QBs at gmail dot com. In both cases, spell it out T W O Q B S. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever else. Uh, and be sure to stop by 2QBs.com, the, the site that presents this podcast, and check out all the awesome work there. We would really appreciate that as well. For Josh, for myself, good luck in the fantasy semis. Hopefully, we'll catch you again next week for your fantasy championship run. And until next time, adios. Adios.